Hey everybody, this is Seth. I am creating right now my very first podcast. Not really sure how it's going to go, but here it is. Um, so a little background about myself. I'm 33 years old. I'm from Andover, Massachusetts originally. And when I graduated from college, I went to Germany and ordained in a Buddhist monastery and I became a monk. And I lived in the monastery for eight years. Um, it was a very interesting time, I can say. Um, definitely learned a lot. And it was also very formative for me. Um, I really found out about who I am, who I'm not, um, and what direction I want my life to go. It was also during this time that I had the chance to meet some really great teachers like um, the Dalai Lama, His Holiness, and the Karmapa, and Acham Brahm, and Pa Oksayada, and Thich Nhat Hanh. And really, um, yeah, some of the great masters of our time, I would say. And I think, uh, yeah, just by being around good people, by being around people on the same path as me, um, it really helped to, to generate a kind of momentum within myself in a direction. So in 2014, I left. I then spent the next two years traveling through India and Australia. Um, it was also in these times that I disrobed, so no longer a monk. And uh, about a year ago, a little bit over a year ago, I returned home to Boston with, um, yeah, this whole huge wealth of experiences and understandings and information. And I really, um, you know, was ready to see how do I want to take this and, and ground it here. I felt... You know, if you think about a seed, think about a seed that falls from a tree. Um, it's a little tiny thing, but it has a lot of information inside of it. It's really packed full of this genetic information. And that information, when given the right conditions, will grow and become another huge tree. And, um, and I kind of feel a little bit like that, that I'm, that I'm the seed that contains a lot, a lot of information, a lot of experience. Um, and I feel that I've kind of planted myself back here at home and I'm starting to watch that grow, which is really exciting and interesting and um, kind of cool to see what my tree looks like. So the reason for creating a podcast um, is simply that I've started teaching. I've started teaching meditation um, around the Boston area. I've also started giving healings. So I learned an energy healing technique while I was in India, and I've started doing this for groups. And on top of these, I've also actually started teaching meditation in schools. So this involves both going into classrooms of public schools, so this would be middle schools, high schools, um, and also teaching the teacher. So holding after-school or professional development um, workshops for educators in public schools to teach them about mindfulness and med meditation and how to... Um, how to bring it into their lives, how to bring it into their school. Um, this was something that was asked of me. I was um, kind of asked originally to start helping to see how I could help with this next generation that's coming through. Um, there's definitely problems with anxiety, depression, medication, and more recently an, an opiate epidemic that's sweeping at least the northeast of uh, America, but maybe even farther spread throughout the country that I'm not aware of. Um, and I was just kind of asked, you know, with 
with all this experience with meditation, with learning about myself, my mind, how can I support these kids that seem to really be struggling? And uh, the more that I started, you know, talking to kids and going into schools, the more I also felt that, you know, ultimately also the teachers need this and actually the parents could use it too. Um, so one thing I've also noticed, so again, this is my first podcast. I don't actually know what I'm going to be talking about, where this is going to branch off into. Um, so I'm just going to let it flow. So anyway, um, the more that I started working in schools and working with these kids, um, I kind of started realizing that, you know, a lot of, a lot of what I was seeing, a lot of the, whether it's anxiety, whether it's medication, whether it's drug use, a lot of it, it's, it's kind of some form of, um, whether you call it compensation, whether you might want to call it escapism, um, I think the way to describe it, it's simply that there's, there's a lot of undealt with mental and emotional um, themes that a lot of students carry around. And um, in our society, it doesn't really afford a, a method or a way to deal with a lot of the stuff that people are carrying around. Um, you know, I think back when we lived in bigger communities, um, when we had the feeling of community, there was a lot more of an opportunity to get the emotional support you needed and to express yourself. And I think these days with the nuclear family being what it is, and especially now kids being under more and more pressure and um, their days are filled with, you know, structures and activities. Um, it seems like they don't have as much time to really process things emotionally, really deal with things, really find themselves. There's actually not really a moment where they're able to stop. Um, I think especially with the invention of the you know, iPhone and the laptop. Um, you know, I think my generation, we were the first to be raised on TV. Um, but I think now with computers, it's, it's almost a farther level removed. And, um, and there's not really so much of a chance for kids these days to really just be, to really just be with themselves, to see what's going on, see how they feel, to work through stuff, to really explore themselves in a deeper and more meaningful way. Um, and I think simply because they haven't had this opportunity that, that they're not really so in touch with themselves, you know, emotionally, um, it starts to build up. It's like, you know, if you take a stream of water and you, you put a stone in it, right? So a stone in this case would be like an undigested event from their lives. Um, the water has to kind of compensate, right? So on one hand, there's a lot of pressure building up on that stone, right? So there's this pressure. And then also the water has to divert and kind of maybe flow out of the stream or go around, right? So um, if we have something in us that's not being looked at, it's not being taken care of, our, our energy, our mind, our emotions, it, it, has to, it has to compensate. It has to find another way around, another expression, which is oftentimes something that's unhealthy or even harmful. Um, so, yeah, seeing a lot of this happening, I, I kind of realized also that what we see in our kids, it's actually what you could see in our parents, what you see in the adults, that, um, that students um, or kids in general are are an echo of the culture itself. Um, 
you know, the kids are like that because the parents are like that. You know, the kids are uh, a continuation and simultaneously a response to the generation that came before them. So this has kind of really led me just to start opening up more and more and realize that, um, you know, actually everybody needs this. You know, this isn't just for kids or teachers or parents. This is really for everybody. And, um, and I'm on Facebook. And when I go on Facebook, also, you know, my, my echo chamber of friends, as we call it. So all these people that I'm connected to that have similar, more or less, uh, views than I do. Um, it's really, you know, these days very filled with, with a lot of, um, yeah, frustration, anger, upsetness about the political climate, about what's happening. And, um, and I think this is really important. I think that this is a time to speak out, to stand up. It's kind of like now or never. Um, there's a lot happening in this country. So on one hand, this is really important that we're, that we're vocal, that we're active, that we're getting out there, that we're doing things. Um, and on the other hand, I feel that we can really get so, so swamped with, with this kind of work, with, um, with, with the new information every day that's coming out, that we could also exhaust ourselves really easily, um, that we can feel lost um, internally, and, um, and maybe that we also kind of forget the other parts of ourselves, the other parts of life. Um, so I'm really a big fan of everything having balance. And balance is really for sustainability. So um, I was just talking with my friend Derek, who actually does um, coaching. And he was saying that there's a coaching model, which looks like a pie chart. And he was saying how you can develop, you know, one slice of that pie um, at a time. And, you know, the slices of the pie in this sense, you know, maybe one slice is your family life. One slice is your friend's. One slice is your career. One slice is your hobby. You know, one slice is just maybe me, me time. So, you know, if you divided your life up into slices, um, if you develop one slice more than others, he said if you think about it like a wheel, right, imagine that that's a wheel with one slice being greater than the others, that wheel would kind of run in a very lopsided way, right? It would be like, da-dum, da-dum, da-dum. And, um, you know, it really... It's not so sustainable, although sometimes it's necessary, right? So, I mean, if you're, if you're broke and, you know, you're living out on the street, you know, maybe the first thing you're not considering is, oh, what hobbies can I build up? Maybe the first thing you're considering is how do I make some money, right? So you have to really develop that slice of the pie before you move on. Um, but that being said, I think a lot of us are kind of lopsided in our approach to life. Um, some people are very focused on family. And some people are very focused on their job. Some people are very focused on government. Um, everyone kind of has a different focus. And through my work in meditation and also the healings that I do, you can kind of see, you know, people that are very focused on their family. Um, for instance, if the kids then go off to college, you know, a lot, a lot of mothers come up to me and say suddenly that they don't really know what their life is about anymore. Because that slice of the pie was so prevalent that when that's gone suddenly they say who, who am I what's my purpose what am I doing there's a lot of people that their slice of pie is so focused on their their job their career their finances that um that they'll have like a midlife crisis that at some point they'll just look around and they'll say what am I doing I'm actually not happy I'm I'm working to make money to get this promotion to to get this house that I leave empty all day while I'm at work um and the sense of kind of existential meaninglessness starts to erupt from them 
and they realize that they've been developing that slice of their pie of their life more than the other pieces. Um, and I guess there's just a part of me that when I'm looking at what's happening now, I'm just worried. Um, again, I think that our voices need to be heard right now. I was also part of the protests down in Boston recently um, for women's rights. Um, but if we, if we stuff our faces too full of that every day and only that, um, we'll burn out. And I guess what I'm seeing now is just, just a lot of, a lot of energy arising that is going to probably lead to people being burned out. And I think it's really important that we find that balance of, um, of really staying on top of things, of holding people accountable for what they're doing, for speaking up, for showing our voice, showing our strength and support, and also really making sure that we find that time for ourselves, that we find that time to rest, that we find that time to, to recover and also to replenish, to replenish our energies. Um, I just went for a hike with a few friends up into the White Mountains uh, just for a day, right? We just went up for a day and went up and... And it was really beautiful and um, replenishing. It really replenished my, my energetic stores that I could then go back into life and again really give and be of service to others in my work. So I think it's important for everybody individually to really look at this idea of sustainability, of life sustainability, and see how they can give their energy, um, in which way they can give their energy, that it's, um, yeah, it's sustainable so that they don't crash or feel lopsided or or if something happens as everything does. So, you know, I was just saying to somebody yesterday how kind of the only truth to the universe is change, is that it changes, that everything's changing. And um, again, if we really focus on just one of these slices, one of these aspects of life, and it changes, um, suddenly we'll, we'll become groundless. We'll, um, we won't really know where to go, where to turn. And uh, so I think, anyway, it's just important to to remember the, the fullness, the holisticness of life. Um, and tying this back into what I'm seeing in schools, I also see because there's so much focus on work, because there's so much focus on, um, on performance, right, performing. Um, you know, I even see now in middle schools, they're doing, you know, college preps and things. There, there's kind of a, a tightness and a pressure, and, um, and performance is really all that matters. But to the point that kids are starting to break, that, um, that kids are taking medication to perform better, right? That, um, yeah, it really just seems like they're being treated almost like robots, right? Um, if you look back historically over the school systems, we can also see that, you know, the way that schools look now around here, it's actually still a, a remnant from from training kids to work in factories. So if you think about the way that the school schedule works, that there are these blocks of time, there's a bell that rings and you go to the next block. And if you, you know, um, don't perform well, you kind of get punished. If you perform well, you kind of get rewarded. Um, this is actually put in place. Originally, this was put in place from, from factories, how they trained kids also to be obedient, to get used to being in that system. So, um, when you, when you see it from that angle that we are really being put into the system, like that we're almost being seen as cogs in a machine, um, no wonder, you know, no wonder there's depression, no wonder there's anxiety, no wonder there's, there's just existential, um, you know, yeah, uncertainty arising, you know, what am I doing? What is life about? Um, 
no wonder there's violence. No wonder there's people that don't feel seen. No wonder there's a lot of aggression. No wonder there's people that then escape into drugs, into alcohol, into, into games, um, into anything. Um, it makes sense. It makes sense, and I think that eventually um, the model for the school is also going to have to change and evolve. I think that, um, that we can't keep putting kids under pressure, you know, with one hand, and with the other hand, you know, feed them medication to make them feel better or, you know, to give them even like what I'm doing, meditation classes um, to make them feel better, which I think is really great and it's very helpful and it's a skill that they can take for the rest of their lives. But ultimately, if the system itself doesn't shift or evolve, if you don't find a way to relieve that pressure that we're putting on the kids, um, you know, meditation, it's, it's kind of just another quick fix. It's just really trying to throw something else in there. Um, you know, but ultimately the whole mindset has to shift that, um, that we also have to really start supporting the gifts of our youth. Um, we really have to start, yeah, allowing them to be more than their grade in the classroom and to know that getting into a good college is not everything. And um, what does a good college even mean? You know, ultimately, what's important is that they're given the opportunity to really figure out who they are, to find what they want, um, and to be empowered to, to use their gifts and to move forward with their gifts in a direction that they want. I think um, school or education in general would be, you know, so much more rewarding if there is a place where we could really individually find ways to, to tease out the, um, the strengths and the gifts and the passions of the youth and then give them channels to, to turn that into career. Um, and it's almost, you know, it's kind of strange, actually, if you really reflect, why, why don't we do that? I mean, I guess college starts to do that. But, um, but many people, by the time they get to college, they, they've already been in this this um, the system for so long there's been all this momentum and this pressure by the time they get there maybe they're just already shooting off on a career path to get a job to make money to to feel that security that you know they've been told is so important to have um, but I can also personally say from my life that um, that I chose to forego security for for a life of purpose and I definitely always feel like on one hand I'm living a little bit with a feeling of of insecurity so the ground under my feet is always a little bit more insecure than than some other people I'm sure but also how many people's security actually has become a prison you know how many people spend their lives doing things that they don't want to do to to get a financial security you know um, forgetting that that there is something called joy something called happiness something called meaning and purpose to be found and um, and I think it's important that we remind each other and that we support and encourage each other to also reawaken to, to a life that is more meaningful to us, that is more purposeful, that is available, and that actually resides within each of our hearts. I'm a very firm believer that everybody in their heart really has their purpose, you know, whether they were somehow born with it or it was just through, through you know, some forming process in their childhood or whatever it would be. But, you know, most people, when you kind of start to dig deeper, actually have something that they care about that's meaningful to them. And, and if they don't, it just simply means they've forgotten it. It just means they've been disconnected from it for a while and they need to reconnect. They need to, again, start, you know, engaging in activities that, that are fun for them, that are rewarding, you know, and slowly that reawakens inside of them, right? So it's never gone. It's just, it's dormant, right? It just goes to sleep. 
Um, and things in us go to sleep because it's easy. It's easy to go to sleep um, because it's painful to, to be wide awake, to be fully emotionally and mentally present in a world that, um, that is unjust, that doesn't make sense, that, that is blind, um, that forces us into situations we don't want to be, that forces others into situations that are, are painful and harmful for them. Um, my friend Wally asked me the other day, he said, do you think, you know, this world is some other world's purgatory or do you think we're in purgatory? Um, and it's interesting cause then I, I was reflecting on, for instance, the meat industry, right? And we see these cows in these cages and, and it's, it, they're in hell. If you think about it, that we, we keep a lot of animals in a, in a hell realm, in a hell like state. And it's as if our survival, our, our current place depends on holding these animals in the, in the hell that that our world is built on top of the hell of another um, world in a way. And if you think about also third world countries and you think about resources, um, you know, one could kind of say that for one, for one people, person, nation to, pro to prosper, um, at the moment, the current model we use is that it, it's at the expense of another, at the expense of another nation, another person. Um, so, you know, there's this imbalance and, you know, if your eyes are open, you see that and you feel that. And it's definitely easy to, to not be involved in that. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded, for instance, of, of the Hunger Games or of, or of that movie In Time, if anybody saw it, with Justin Timberlake. Uh, but, you know, there's some movies that depict, you know, different social classes and people that have access to different social classes. And, and I know myself, you know, from going to India, from living in India for, you know, eight months, um, 2015 and then coming to Australia and then back here and back to Boston and it's it's really unbelievable you know living in India seeing seeing just how people live on the streets um, you know they don't have access to much um, I, I befriended street children when I was in Bodh Gaya and every morning I would sit with them and just try to play with them and you know buy them fruit and and I remember one morning you know I came out and they're all you know really excited huddled around and they called me over and, um, you know, I came over and I squatted down next to them. And these are, you know, this, this group of, you know, four, four to seven-year-olds, four to eight-year-olds, just these kids, like, pretty much living on the streets. Um, and they had a big piece of styrofoam. And, and it was cold. You know, it's a cold morning. So they were burning the styrofoam and lighting it. And they were, you know, styrofoam burns really easily. So they were really excited. And, and I was saying, oh, no, 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 no. You know, as the fumes were coming up into their faces and they were, you know, sticking their fingers in it. And I was saying, you know, it's toxic. And I was saying to them, no, don't, don't, don't. And they were saying, yes, 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 good, good. You know, and I kind of realized I didn't really know what I can do, like, you know, how to really change that situation. You know, I'm going to leave and they're going to keep doing that, of course. But, um, but just to really see how the rest of the world lives or other parts of the world live. And then to come back here um, and to see what we have, you know, again, in India, walking by, walking by little, you know, huts and I, I look in the window and I see it's it's kind of like an earthen floor and there's a single bed with a whole family with six people sleeping in that bed and that's like all that's in the house and there's like a dog or a chicken um you know and I come back here and it's just we don't even we can't even comprehend what that's like to, to live life in that way what it must be like for those people um it's easy for us to be really surrounded by you know, I mean, and it is, we are surrounded. It's a first world country. So we're surrounded by people of similar social means, um, similar interests, similar, 
you know, quality of life, standard of life, understanding. Um, so we don't really, we don't really fully experience how a lot of the rest of the world lives, but we know that it's there. We know it's there. And on some level we feel it, you know, but it's easy to kind of ignore it because it's not right in front of our faces. And often, you know, if we see beggars or if we see people on the street that are homeless, it triggers that thing in us that we know that there's something wrong and we don't really want to look at it. And I've, I've kind of reflected on this. I mean, if you think about it, you know, cemeteries, they're kind of put off to the side. Hospitals, right? People get sick. We kind of put them off to the side. Old folks' homes. I was going through Germany and I, you know, there's an elderly home near near a monastery and I walked in and, and it was just rooms of, of elderly people sitting alone, just staring at the wall. Um, and it was horrifying. And I know that this isn't what all, you know, all homes look like, but but I saw, you know, these people, they're older, they're, they maybe don't have a, a contribution to society in the way that we see it in our country. Again, when I was in India, when I was in Tibet, when I was in Nepal, you know, the elderly, they're, they're really honored. This is the, this is the grandpa. These are the, these are our elders, you know, they're taken care of. They're part of the family. They still make decisions. They have self importance. Um, and I see for us that we kind of put those people away. We just don't want to look at them. Um, you know, even if you think about, you know, I just had a thought like, you know, toilet paper, right? This, this white paper and you wipe your shit and you flush down the toilet. So, right, this idea of, you know, getting it away from you, getting these things that are, you know, showing, um, kind of showing things that we don't want to see that, that we, in our society, we want to transport that away from us as quick as we can. Whereas in India, like, they're like yeah, they're going to toilet right there on the street. And that's not a nice thing. You know, it's, it's not hygienic. Um, but there was something in India when I was there anyway that was, it was very grounding because, you know, there's sickness right there on the street. There's death right there on the street. You know, there's everything. There's life right in front of you and you really can't escape it. Whereas I feel that in our country, um, first world countries in general, it's really easy to, to escape a lot of different aspects of life, a lot of different um, facets of life that are very much real, very much a part of life, but we avoid them. We don't want to look at them. And, um, and because of that, it really, it builds up inside of us on some level, on some level, you know, we know that this isn't it and we try to hide from it. We try to escape from it. Um, but it builds up. And I think even that we have this mentality, it's, it's why a lot of people that they, that they, you know, hide at the bars, right. They go and drink or they go and do drugs or they, they find ways to not have to feel, not have to cope because our society, it's, it's kind of built around that. It's really good at, at not having to look at things that are, that are unpleasant or inconvenient. Um, and again, I think this is, you know, in a strange way, one of the, the blessings that, um, that, that our presidents turned out to be who it was, um, simply for the fact that people are realizing they have no choice anymore except to do something. That um, ultimately, societies, socially, we don't change unless we have to. And... Um, and there's a blessing when everyone at the same time wakes up and says, okay, we have to change. Um, so that's kind of, one could say, like a silver lining, is that there's a, a collective awakening for change and a collective movement. And I think that's also why I'm, I'm able to do the work I do in schools right now is because there's, there's so many tragedies, right? There's, there's a lot of overdoses, there's suicides. Um, and this is kind of speaking and this is kind of saying that... Um, that we can't keep going in that direction, that something has to happen. This is a, this is a, a societal primal scream that's kind of coming out and saying we can't do this anymore. Something has to change. Something is, is broken. 
and it's going to continue breaking unless we change. Um, so yeah, so it kind of all ties together in that way, that um, simply when something is, is not looked at, when it's pushed down, when it's repressed, um, when we try to avoid it, it's still there and it still builds up and it still finds its way to expression. And um, usually in a way that's destructive, that's painful, that's, you know, it's a compensation because the energy is supposed to go somewhere, you know, versus really looking at things and dealing with them directly. Um, yeah, and so again, as I was saying at the very beginning, um, as this is my first podcast, I really had no idea where I'd be going with this. But um, here we are, 29 minutes later. So um, I guess maybe I'll just bring this one to a close, simply because, I don't know, why not? But um, I guess just the direction this took or the point this took me to, I would maybe just invite everybody that's listening to um, individually examine your lives and really look at um, those things that you don't want to look at, those things you've been putting off, um, those weights you've been carrying around, and really ask yourself if it wouldn't be better, if it wouldn't be healthier, if it wouldn't ultimately be easier to really face those hard bits, to deal with the things you don't want to deal with, have those conversations that you're afraid to have, make those decisions that you're afraid to make. You know, deal with the things that you've been keeping to the side to... Um, to really, to really kind of, yeah, break through, connect to, to all of yourself, to, to not feel, um, you know, fractured and to not feel like you're, you're compensating in, in unhealthy ways for, for the unresolved bits of your mind and of your heart. So, uh, yeah, that's just a place of reflection. And thank you for listening. And please, uh, yeah, let me know what you think. Maybe comment on my Facebook. Um, and also feel free to let me know if you have anything you'd like me to talk about. I'd like to start opening this up for other themes. So I'm actually going to make an email address. It's going to be called asksethmonk at gmail.com. So ask, A-S-K, so asksethmonk at gmail.com. And um, yeah, just write to me with, with any questions, comments, or um, things that you'd like me to talk about um, in the next sections. And also, I can hear what you guys are interested to hear about and see if I can bring you know, some of my, my reflection, some of my insight, you know, into the topics that you want to hear about. So, um, yeah, again, thanks for listening. I hope you got at least one or two helpful bits of information. And, uh, yeah, see you next time.